Last week I asked uh, you how many of you have had bad bosses through the years and how many of you have had bad bosses like everyone. I couldn't believe, couldn't believe how many people had had bad bosses. I can only think of one uh, that I had um, that I remember and it just didn't work. You know, sometimes things just don't work and we moved on and, and uh, at some point many years later, the Lord let us hear. So, you know, things, things happen. Uh, we've, we've experienced those things. Another question, and this one you certainly don't want to give names. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot to tell this story last week. This is the greatest bad boss story ever. So I got home and Doris said, oh, I thought you were going to tell that story. And, I, and it hit me. You know, when you're preaching, there's a lot of thoughts going on. I mean, just, and you're trying to filter things out and you're trying to see which direction to go and all of that. And I don't, nothing wrong with reading sermons. I probably need to start doing that, but I don't do that. So it just kind of, you know, flipped. so Dor had this bad boss when she worked in banking and she was a bad boss because you never knew what you were going to get. One day she was happy and nice. And the next day she was miserable and rotten. One day you're doing a great job, the next day you're the worst employee I ever had. So Dora was, you know, having a difficult time with this because you go, you never know what to expect. That's the worst. You know, even if they're miserable all the time, at least you know what you're getting, you know what I mean? And uh, so she had this dream where she took a plastic pumpkin that the kids would use for trick-or-treating and she beat her boss with it (laughs) in the dream and... And she woke up refreshed and renewed and felt better ever since. So if you're still dealing with a boss, take a nap today before the game and just see what happens and let that just, just all, let it all go. Let it all go. It's going to be, going to be all right. The other question that deals with what we're going to talk about today is, have you ever faced opposition? That someone has opposed you and what you're trying to do and accomplish. How many have faced opposition in your life? You know, you're trying to accomplish, whether it's at work, at home, at, at, uh, at church, or uh, whatever it is, you, you face opposition. And you know what? That's a normal part of life as well. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah and learning to lead, and today is leading through opposition. And I chose the word through specifically because we have to keep going, we have to keep leading, we have to keep serving uh, through opposition. If we stopped every time there was an obstacle or opposition, nothing would ever get accomplished in our lives or through our lives. So we're going to look at that opposition, we're going to look at why people oppose uh, us or you know, the things of God, whatever the case might be. I'm going to, you know, probably end up telling more about my story. And I realize uh, some of you have pastored, and so you'll really get this. But, you know, whatever your situation is, you, you face opposition. And Nehemiah, in looking at his life, is going to show us how to lead through, through opposition. So why do people oppose the successful? Why do people uh, oppose the successful? Uh, let me see if I can find this real quick because I just found it this morning and it's, it's appropriate. It's from Jalen Hurts. Anybody know him? He said this, I had a purpose before anyone had an opinion. That's awesome. Because how do you deal with criticism and all that stuff? Imagine these guys, you know, in national, uh, national uh, opposition and those types of things. I had a purpose before anyone had 
an opinion, and I love that. You know what? We have a purpose that God has called us to, and whatever that purpose is could be unique to you, but you have a purpose. But there will always be opposition. Why do we face opposition? Why do people oppose us? And I, I got this from a man named Howard Voss, and then I take it and put it in my own, my own words. Some people are threatened by another person's success. They feel if someone succeeds, then they must be failing. Well, that's not true. We can all succeed at what God has called us to do. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be we can all succeed. I, I want to see the staff here at the church succeed. I want them to do well. I'm not jealous if they're uh, doing better job than I am. I'm hoping they're doing a better job than I am within their ministries. If we're all doing the best and we can elevate one another, there's no reason to be threatened by another person's success. And so sometimes people will oppose you because you're successful. That's all. My dad, whenever he always talked about this, whenever he would get a promotion, he would just make more people angry. You know? But the truth was, he didn't say it like this, but the truth was he was getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, coming home at 6 o'clock at night. He worked hard. He was honest, trustworthy. He was a leader. That's why he got promoted. The people over him wanted to make money. That's kind of the point of business. And he helped their bottom line. And they didn't have to worry about it. But every time he got promoted or elevated, he had more enemies. That's just the way that it works. Some people are just threatened by another person's success. Some people are just jealous. It goes hand in hand with that. They're resentful and they want what other, other people have. But what I've found through the years is people that are jealous want what you have without going through the hard work or the pain that you had to go through to get there. See, they want the shortcut. They want to be as successful as you, but they don't want to have to endure all that you've endured to get to that point. Um, the successful people that I've known in life, and I've known a lot of them, have worked incredibly hard. You know, whether it is, you know, well, you know, whether it's, you know, their degree, they worked hard in college, or they worked hard on the job, or they were honest, trustworthy, showed up on time, stayed late if needed, you know, they were successful because they worked hard. Every now and then, nepotism comes in, I get all that, and you might be in that situation, I don't know, I get it, okay? But some people are just jealous of the success that other people have. Proverbs 14.30 says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Let me stop there. You see how the body, soul, and spirit work together? A peaceful heart strengthens uh, the body and creates a healthy body. So what's the opposite of that? Uh, a chaotic heart or a, a heart that's always troubled constantly, it does affect your body. And a lot of us know that's true. I certainly know that's true. But it goes on. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like a cancer to the bones. And what's the problem with jealousy or jealousy and can't it spreads. It spreads and it'll keep going until it's stopped. It won't stop on its own. If and again, I'm not trying to pinpoint, I'm certainly not pinpointing any individual, but I think when we look at those that oppose us, we have to look in the mirror as well. Because we don't want to be the ones that are always opposing someone else and their success or jealous of other people's success. We have to look in the mirror. Why does their success make me so angry? That's something you have to, you know, work out between you and God. I think one of the great things in our church, we celebrate everybody's success. We celebrate the success and we're sorrowful when people lose someone. We laugh together a lot 
we cry together too. And we've done that in the past few weeks with some of the things that have, that have happened. But we want everyone to succeed uh, in that. Some oppose others or their projects because they have a completely different agenda. They have an agenda that they want to accomplish this, and yet, you know, the Lord has put us on this path. And that's where being the leader becomes difficult, when you have to continue to move forward in what God has called you to do, even when other people are trying to pass and push their agenda through. And the other thing is, when you're, how do I say this? When you're, when you have standards that you won't pass, you might lose the battle. Because there are people that are willing to go beyond morality and what's right in order to accomplish their agenda. But that doesn't mean you ever sink to their level. Because you're answerable to God first. And I'll show you what Nehemiah did with those, those sorts of things in the middle. Some just oppose because they have different agendas. I'm thankful here at this church, 23 and a half years. Uh, I've never, I shouldn't say never. It's been rare, probably more rare than other pastors face on a daily basis, those that have had a separate agenda. And, and because it, I've had great boards and I have a great board now that we work with, and it doesn't mean we agree all the time. But there's a difference between disagreeing and being disagreeable. Somebody that's disagreeable that just won't agree no matter what, they're impossible to work with. Impossible. And you just have to either... <laughs> Some of this I'm going to share, I probably shouldn't. You either have to root them out or you have to move on. If they become more powerful with their agenda than you are with what God wants you to accomplish and the congregation sides with their agenda and not the agenda God's put on your heart, you either have to root them out or you got to move on because you're not going to win. You're not going to make it. Now, I've been here long enough now, it's a little bit different. Can I explain church to you a little bit? Like real church? Real church? What really happens sometimes in churches, pastor comes in, he's a new guy, and he has an idea, and it's a good idea, and it's a change that needs to take place. And um, they go to the, the, his first business meeting, which was a mistake on his part, because he should have never tried to institute such a major change too early on, okay? Story for another time. He goes in, and he says, you know, I really feel the Lord has put this on my heart that we need to... Um, uh, plant trees in the front yard. I don't know, making something up. And Brother John, whoever Brother John is, stands up and says, oh, I tell you what, I, I love, I love our new pastor. He's such a good man. He loves the Lord, I've seen it. And he loves the church, and, and I've seen it. But we had thought about planting trees before, and it just, you know, it ended up being more expensive than what we could do. And, and although I love the pastor, he's a good man. I don't know about the trees. Now, brother, the pastor's been there a year. Brother John's been there for 40 years. When the pastor was not even born, Brother John was mowing the widow's lawn when she had no one else. When the pastor was still in Bible school, Brother John was still at the church when other pastors had left, and, and he was the one that kind of held things together, and he was the one that was most generous to the youth, and he was the one that, whatever. Well, guess which way the congregation voted? Of course they went with Brother John, and probably rightfully so. See? It doesn't make Brother John a bad person. It means that he had a different agenda. Now, 
this happens in bigger things than planting trees, if you get my drift, okay? Here I've never faced of anyone, of any terrible, it's terrible, not significance in their own personhood, but in influence. I've never faced anyone with any influence that's ever opposed the agenda that God has been trying to move us towards. I really haven't. I've had questions, had people come in and say, hey, what are we thinking here? And we talk like men and women of God and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I've changed my mind. I've had my mind changed. I've changed other people's minds. And you never go into a situation, if you're in this type of leadership, even in in the corporate world or in business, you never go in presenting something win-lose. If you know it's the right thing, it's never win-lose. It's always now or later. And now might not be the time. Okay, and one thing I had to learn as a young minister is not everyone that disagrees is a wolf. Sometimes they're just a wiser sheep than you are. And that's hard because you believe God is directing you to do something, and you're facing opposition, and you take it as a personal attack, and it might not necessarily be. They just might have more experience than you. So you will be opposed by someone that has a different agenda. And that's where you have to determine, is God in this or not? That's the hard part of leading, okay? That's the hard part. And so some people, they just have a different agenda. And they're not going to support you and go with you uh, no matter what. Some people were excluded from the decision, and therefore they opposed the decision. Okay? Can I, are you still with me on this church stuff? Because this is the realm I live in, and this is all I know. And so I have to tell you, you have to take the principles and relate it to your situation. Uh, uh, some feel excluded, and the larger the church becomes, the less people are making the day-to-day decisions. Okay? And so those that used to make the day-to-day decisions no longer are because the structure of the church has changed. And so in your organization, and your business, if your department is growing, you'll face opposition because the ones that used to be at the center of everything no longer are because the leadership table has grown. And so they'll oppose you just because they were left out of the decision-making process. Okay? Uh, some people just don't trust leaders at all. And they might have good cause. A leader could have hurt them, could have done something against them. But for your own sake, don't group all leaders into the same pot. Because you're doing a disservice to yourself and to others that are trying to lead you. And the Bible speaks very specifically about um, submitting to those in authority over you whether it's government, church, home, work, whatever it is. We as Christian leaders can ask good questions and should of our leaders and should ask those questions. But to hate leaders, all leaders, no matter who they are, that's kind of a you issue that you need to work through in your own life. And maybe there is hurt. Find healing in that. Can I tell you something else real quick? Do you have time? Because Kelly was mean to me. (laughs) When she comes in the office or if she catches me after, she goes, did you preach long enough today? And I say, hey, just because you didn't have enough material prepared, that's not my fault. No, I don't say that to her. I'm terrified of Kelly. (laughs) Terrified. Only one person more terrified of Kelly than me. (laughs) 
Some people just hate leaders, and, and that's just the way it is. That's a you issue. You've got to work through that. Here's something else I learned. When you've been through something, when is it appropriate to share? This is really good, really good for leaders. When it's still a wound, it's too soon because it's still too sensitive. When it's a scab, you can share it with some people, but when it's a scar, that's when you can share it. So you've been through some stuff. I don't have open wounds, so I'm talking to you about real life in real church because it's not a wound. If it was still a wound, it would be too soon. If it was a scab, I could relate it in some different ways, but when it's a scar, when it becomes part of who you are, then you can share those things, okay? So that was free uh, in there. Some people just don't trust leaders. In leadership, there's the, in church life, there's the 20-80 rule, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the finances that make the work possible. Okay, That's just how it goes. There's another one, 10-10-80 rule. Again, if you're in leadership, 10-10-80. 10% of the people will say yes no matter what. 10% of the people will say no no matter what. And 80% of the people are in the middle. And they're asking questions. And those are the ones that you need to influence in order to accomplish what God has called you to do. And so if you're a leader, be thankful for the 10% that will go along no matter what. Don't be hindered by the 10% that aren't going to vote yes no matter what. Focus on those 80 and you'll find that if you're a good leader and, and, and uh, you're just doing your job, you, you'll see. You'll see that God is able to accomplish his, his will in those things. Hatred towards leaders is completely unbiblical. Okay, number six, some oppose change of any kind. Here's the fact. The older I get, the more I hate change. Honestly, that's me. I am an instrument of change for a living. What I have done for the past 35 years is to institute changes that people didn't want to make and then ask them to pay for it. Try that. Try that for 35 years, and it's a wonder I'm 56, I look 86. Some pe- and I don't like change. Listen, if we never changed, it would make my life so much easier. If Kelly didn't say, and I'm in agreement with her, and I'm just teasing about this, Pastor, we've got too many kids down there, we need to do something with the room. Nope, can't do it because I don't want to change. You know what that decision would have made? You know what that decision does? It's at that moment that you begin to decline. Because we're no longer pouring into the next generation. Do you know why thousands of churches have closed from COVID on? Because at some point they refused to change. And I'm telling you, I could go in, look at their history, and almost tell you the the decision that was made that started their decline that they weren't able to recover from. And what COVID did is crisis accelerates. It took them faster to where they were already going. And if I can brag on our church, we grew through COVID and continued to grow after COVID. Why? Because you all were on board long before COVID. We not only survived during COVID, we thrived during COVID. We started new ministries, accomplished new things that we wouldn't have because we were already headed in that direction. Because I've never had to look at, you know, guard my back because I'm afraid somebody's going to stab me in the back. For 23 and a half years, I've been able to look forward because I knew the congregation was there. 
And maybe we didn't see it the same way, but I knew we were all on the same team. We just had to answer questions better. We had to lead better, is all. Some people just oppose change because they don't want to change. It's always been that way. Death, dying, might not be dead yet, it will be. I don't, I can't do children's ministry. It's loud. And it's videos. I grew up with flannel. How many grew up with flannel graphs to the glory of God? We all did. You can't do that. These kids have more technology in your pocket than you could have imagined. It took rooms of uh, mainframe computers when we were younger to accomplish a calculation that, that, that their phone. You can't minister to them the same way that you used to minister to them. Well, it's expensive to buy a projector. Yes. It's even more expensive to lose the next generation. That's just the way it is. And I'm not telling you because we don't do this. I'm trying to say, we're doing this. You're seeing it. You see all those kids? You see the youth staying up, building relationships, loving on each other? We should all celebrate that. It's loud. Literally, I could hear the youth screaming at 1030 last night when we took our dog out before we went to bed. Dora and I met and were in youth ministry when we first met and got married. We both stopped at that moment and gave praise to God that we're no longer in youth ministry. <laughs> we prayed a prayer for Pastor Rowe and slept beautifully <laughs> in our own bed. But somebody's got to do it, and I'm thankful for Pastor Rowe. Thankful for all the helpers that she has. Thankful for the, the youth, the children. I'm thankful for every single ministry we have here from the crib to the crypt because every generation is needed. And please, I'm not ignoring the older generations. I'm part of that. But what I'm saying is if we become so self-focused on our own needs and we miss the children and the youth, we, we're leaving nothing behind. That's all. It's time for... Oh preach and I'm going to get in trouble and I like pastoring here. Vi, I don't want to leave. I don't want this to be my last sermon. I really don't. I don't usually beg for votes, but you know, have some compassion on the old guy. He gets carried away. We've got to pour in. And sometimes when we reach my stage of life and other stages of life, we become so self-centered on what we need. And here I am, been a Christian for 45 years. Maybe I should start, stop focusing so much on what I need and what others need. And let me accomplish the agenda on their behalf instead of on my behalf. Does that make sense? Does that mean we don't like seniors? No, we have whole ministry for seniors. Does that mean we don't like baby boomer generation? We love them. Started a whole new ministry just last year. Doing all kind of great things. We have Sunday school. We hate Sunday. What happened to Sunday? We still have Sunday school. Because you don't come is not our fault. I don't know what to tell you. Well, I grew up in Sunday school. You haven't been in Sunday school in 23 years I've been here. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes opposition is just a direct attack from Satan. Because he hates God and hates you. This is really bad. I don't know where this is all coming from. Some of you are never going to come back, and I'm sorry. 
not everything you're going through is because of a satanic attack. It could very, very well be from your own stupidity. So be careful. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he really didn't. That was just dumb. But there are times when you're trying to live for God in whatever capacity he's called you, the enemy will attack. And if there's anything that I didn't understand, and there's a lot about pastoring and leading, is the spiritual attack of the enemy. And sometimes it's almost broken me. And I say this from the bottom of my heart. I know that God's people in this church were praying and you didn't even know. You just tell me, we pray for you every day. And that's the way we got through it. There was a time when I was very sick. Dor didn't even tell me this story till a little while, like a month or two ago. She felt like there was a, a dragon coming to consume me. And she was fighting for my safety. This church is advancing and going forward because of you and your support. And we're going to keep advancing and keep going forward because we have no choice. And we're not going to let the enemy or opposition stand in the way of what God wants us to accomplish because what we do is eternal. And I've said to our leaders, this might be the most important day in someone's eternity. We tease and we joke, that's who I am. But I do not joke about eternity and the gospel and the things of God. I'm as serious as I can possibly be. So Nehemiah, I'm going to go five more minutes. That doesn't mean anything. Nobody caught that. I see Justin texting. He's still going. He's still going. He, he, can't, he can't land the plane, Cal. He can't land the plane. <laughs> I'm only 26 minutes in, okay? 26 minutes and 25 seconds. That's all. We're okay. So, Nehemiah is trying to accomplish God's will. Trying to build the walls. And we've been talking about this. And he's trying to lead the people. And people didn't like that. And they opposed him. Sanballat and Tobiah were the first two. This is in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. This is really important what I'm going to tell you. Saying in front of his friends and the Samarian army officers. What is this bunch? This is Sanballat talking about the uh, uh, Jewish nation. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? They think they can build the wall in a single day by offering up a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make some, something of stones from a rubbish heap and the charred ones in that? Here's what the enemy, here, we talked about why the enemy does what they do. Here's how they work. Ridicule is the first step. But watch this, you need to catch this. These questions of ridicule were so effective because they touched on kernels of truth. The reason ridicule is so effective in our lives when people ridicule us is because it highlights our own insecurities. That's what's so difficult. 
people will say something, and deep down you know it's not true, but it touches on our own insecurities, and we begin to doubt and wonder if the opposition is right. Watch the words. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're going to do? Guess what? The Jews at that time were poor and feeble. They had no earthly power. Their walls weren't even built. They were a disgrace. They had been taken away for years. Only some of them came back. Here's this restless, ragtag group of people trying to build a wall that's going to protect them against these great enemies. You know what? This ridicule was so difficult because it was true. They were poor and feeble. The next one, he says, you know, you're going to rebuild this in a day? Look at the task ahead of you. This task is huge. How are you going to do this? You know, there was truth in that. What God had called Nehemiah to do was too big for Nehemiah to do. There was truth in it. That's why it hurts so bad. It's going to take more than prayer. It says sacrifice it, but what they mean is, what, are you just going to pray and those stones are going to come up and they're going to rebuild themselves? Ridicule. And they knew that the job was great and they knew that they had to work. And so the ridicule was so easy and effective because it touched on their own insecurities. The building supplies were less than ideal. You're going to take these stones that have been burned at the last time we tore this down and you're going to use those to rebuild a wall to keep us out. But here's the difference. Nehemiah knew that God was with him. And he knew what God had called him to do. And Sambalat and Tobiah and later Geshem wasn't going to stop him from doing what God called him to do. Watch. Because he was more afraid of God than he was of man. So Tobiah, who since I'm going to be fired this week anyhow, such, a, such an idiot. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside Sanballat. Sanballat was kind of the leader, and uh, Tobiah, he chimes in in verse 3, oh, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along on top of it, you know, like the lackey. Yeah, what he said. Yeah, you know, you know what he said. Of course, a safe distance so no one would reach out and smack him. So here's what I have to say to Tobiah since I'm going to be fired after the service anyhow, uh, here's what I say to Tobiah. First of all, shut up. You're just a lackey. You don't have any strength in your own. I'm serving God. And the second thing I would say, kids in here, don't use these words, okay? The second thing I would say to Tobiah is, why don't you just shut up? I don't have time for this. I'm doing what God has called me to do. Nehemiah, a much better man of God, than I. Watch his response. So look what I've walked you through. Why the opposition, how they oppose, now how the leader responds. Nehemiah didn't retaliate. He prayed. That's not a cliche. That's actually the very first thing that he did. He didn't fight against them with words. He went to God. Look at verse 4. Then I prayed, hear us our God, for we are being mocked, ridiculed. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may themselves be, become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Here's the basis of the prayer. Lord, you take care of them because I got a job to do. 
And you know what? That's what you need to do with those that are opposing you now. You need to pray for them. Maybe not in the same way Nehemiah did. I don't know. I'll let the Spirit lead you. But you need to pray. And you need to say, God, I can't be distracted by this. I can't be overwhelmed by this. I can't stop doing what you've called me to do. I'm going to have to leave them in your hands. And so I broke it down into two things. And then what did he do? Uh, The next verse, verse 6. Verse 4 and 5, he prayed. Verse 6, what did he do? He went back to work. So I'm going to break it down to you. Two ways to handle ridicule. Worship. Remember who God is. Pray. Ask him to do what only he can do. And get back to work. And then number three, wait. Wait for God to do what only he can do. We've established today that we've all had bad bosses. We've established today that I say things I probably shouldn't. We've established today that we've all faced opposition in our life in one way or another. I just told you some of my story. But we've also established today that we are God's children with God's call on our life to accomplish God's purpose and God's mission. And we will face opposition, but we will not wither. We will worship, we will work, and we will wait for God to do what only God can do. That's learning to lead through opposition. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together.